Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. Who are you? Who are you? And what do you have to say about yourself? Who are you and what do you have to say about yourself? I'm Scott. I'm a lot older than the people that were on this platform. Born in New Jersey, lived there first 17 years of my life. Who am I? What do you say about yourself? My profession, I'm a pastor. My relationships, I'm married to Carla, 28 years. We have five children. Who am I? What do I have to say about myself? My hobbies? Um, I love jazzercise and dance aerobics. No, I do not. I do not. <laughs> I run. I run a lot. I run very far. Who are you? And what do you have to say about yourself? Answering those questions usually revolves around your profession. What do you do for a living? Or relationships, parents, kids, who you're married to. Maybe your hobbies, the school you attend, a team you play on, or, or the team you're rooting for. Go Patriots. <clears throat> Or the, or the town or the neighborhood. And maybe, who are you? And what do you have to say about yourself? You know, those ways of answering it, professional, profession, relationships, teams, neighborhood, hobbies, they're one way of answering it, but not necessarily the best way and definitely not the only way. In other words, where exactly is your identity found? Who are you, and what do you have to say about yourself? I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, we finish the introduction, the prologue, as we study the book of John, Glory Among Us, we've titled this series. And we come to this man named John the Baptist, and these two questions are posed to him as well as others. Now, we know John the Baptist was a very important man. Jesus called him the greatest man born of women. That's pretty important. And John is asked these two questions, and he answers them. And as he answers them, he teaches me and he teaches you very important life lessons. The confrontation is going to take place, the questioning with these religious leaders. We see this in John chapter 1. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 19. John 1, 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me. The thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. 
Life lessons from John. Number one, know who you aren't. This is genuine humility. Say it with me. Know who you aren't. Genuine humility. John, you see, was an enigma. He was a conundrum. He didn't make sense to these religious leaders. They could not figure out this weird guy out in the wilderness. And and the Jews send to inquire about him. The Jews are the religious leaders back in Jerusalem, more specifically the Sanhedrin, or the supreme governing body of Israel, the religious bigwigs in the capital. And they send priests, those are religious authorities, and Levites, who are not priests because they're not from the family of Aaron, but they assist the priests in temple worship. They also made up the temple police force and the musicians. They come from Jerusalem, so it's an official delegation to question and interrogate John the Baptist. Now, if you skip down to verse 28, it says, this is at Bethany beyond the Jordan. And this is not Bethany of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem, but this is on the western side, a different Bethany across from Jericho, most believe. This is about 25-mile walk from Jerusalem. And they question him. Back to verse 19. Who are you? They're curious because the guy's weird. I mean, he's, he's a bug-eating, camel-hair, leather-belt-wearing, long-haired, Nazarite-vow hippie preaching out in the wilderness, baptizing a bunch of people. This guy's strange. And they've heard stories about John. Everybody in Israel heard stories about John. His dad, Zacharias, was the priest, we're told. His mom and dad were old, unable to have kids. You can see that in Luke chapter 1. And this angel, Gabriel, appears to Zacharias while he's serving in the temple and announces he's going to have a son. Zacharias can't speak. He's mute until the day his son is born. And he gives him the name and he's able to speak John. And so there's this mystique, there's this legend surrounding him. There's also an expectation surrounding John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 165, fear came on those living around them and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea and all heard them, kept them in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. They're talking about John the Baptist. So people have been talking about him since he was a baby, even before his birth. We saw last week, he was filled with the spirit in his mother's womb, leaping for joy at the entrance of Jesus in the womb of Mary. This guy's unique. And so there's curiosity there, but there's also concern. Because John is causing quite a stir. And he's having quite an influence. In Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All the country of Judea was going out to him. All the people of Jerusalem, they're being baptized by him in the Jordan River and confessing their sins. There's concern on the part of the religious leaders. This is unsanctioned ministry. He has no official authorization from the religious leaders in Jerusalem to be doing this. He's more than likely untrained and hasn't graduated from one of their approved schools. And he's baptizing tons of people. We'll talk about that later. And, And not only that, they see the crowds. They see these flocks of people not coming to the big city not going to the temple and not listening to them. 
This is unsettling. They are losing influence. They are flocking out to this bug-eating guy preaching in the middle of nowhere. Their attitude? We got to get to the bottom of this. And so they come to John and they come suspicious and they come questioning. Now, sadly, they also come unwilling to listen and unwilling to learn. Even though people are repenting and even though people's lives are changing and even though people are publicly acknowledging their God through baptism, they don't want to see that. They're questioning, they're critical, they're suspicious. And they miss the work of God in their own life because they're critical. And they miss the message of God for their own life. Listen carefully. Don't walk into God's house with a critical, condescending eye. Toward kids leading us in worship. Toward a preacher preaching. Toward someone else and how they dress. Don't you dare walk in here with a critical, condescending eye because you will miss the message of God for you. You will miss what God wants to do in your heart because you've closed your heart. And you are not willing to hear and you are not willing to see because all you see is yourself. Don't miss the work of God. And don't miss the message of God. They come this way though. They come with this religious superiority complex thinking they know more than everybody else. Thinking they're better than other people. Because of their position. Because of their age. Because of their education. And these are the religious experts who will miss the message and miss the work of God in their lives. Let the questioning and interrogating begin. Verse 19. Who are you? Verse 20. He confessed and said, I didn't, he doesn't deny. He confessed, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. I want you to understand, John knows who he is not. Know who you are not. He says, I'm not the Christ. That's the Messiah. That's the anointed one. Now talk about flattering. I want you to think about this. I mean, talk about stroking your ego and making you feel incredibly important and special and tempting, tempting to just letting this go to your head. People are putting your name in the same sentence as Messiah. Oh my goodness, he's made it. He's made it. And what does he answer? I'm not. He won't even entertain the thought for a second. He won't let anyone speculate, even for a moment. He's not going to let that feel good come over him. He's just not. Then they say, are you Elijah? He says, I'm not. Now, Elijah was a very powerful, incredibly important prophet in the Old Testament. And and there may have been some good reason to think maybe this guy was Elijah. He kind of dressed like him. 2 Kings 1.8, we're told Elijah was a hairy man, leather girdle bound about his, his loins. His name was Elijah. He had a ministry like Elijah. He preached with a boldness, calling for repentance, warning of judgment. He even confronted kings, King Ahab. John the Baptist was not afraid to confront Herod. He, he, 
He predicted, or or, uh, Elijah's return was predicted in Malachi chapter 4. Behold, I'm going to send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And so there was a good reason why some people were saying, he's Elijah, he's Elijah. But he wasn't Elijah, but he did come in the spirit of Elijah. Gabriel, the angel's words to his father Zacharias in Luke 1.17, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts back. Jesus' words to his disciples concerning John the Baptist in Matthew 11.14, if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who is to come. In Matthew 17, I say to you, Elijah's already come. They didn't recognize him, but to him, but did to him whatever they wished. Then his disciples understood he spoke to them about John the Baptist. So he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, but he was not Elijah. And then they asked him, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And you may say, well, I don't understand this. John was a prophet. We're told John was a prophet. He was the first prophet in 400 years, but he's not the prophet. He's not the Messiah. Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. And in John 1.45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote. That's the prophet, Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, notice how John answers these guys. Shorter and shorter. I am not the Christ. I am not. Leave me alone. (laughs) No. It's almost like he's getting frustrated with their questions. Life lessons from John. Number one, know who you aren't. Exercise genuine humility. Life lesson number two, know who you are. This is the importance of biblical identity. Say it with me. Know who you are, the importance of biblical identity. Now look at verse 22. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? See, they're not satisfied with his answers. And so they question him again. And and they ask him, who are you? Wow. Think about this. Now's the time to talk about yourself. Let me tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you about my ministry and how many people are coming to my services and how many people I'm baptizing and all the people that are paying attention to me. Is that what John does? No. Who are you? Oh, let me tell you about my family. My dad was an important priest and he was in the Holy of Holies in the temple and I grew up in a godly home. Who are you? Let me tell you about my upbringing. The angel Gabriel announced my birth. Hello. I mean, I I was told that I was spirit-filled even in my mother's womb and I leaped for joy when the Lord Jesus came in in his mother's womb. Oh, and by the way, I'm not sure if you heard, I'm cousin to the Messiah. Hello? If this guy could have talked about himself, think about it. In other words, he could have said, I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. (laughs) I mean, John was a big deal, people, if you really stop and think about it. Who are you? And what do you say about yourself? Now, 
there are a lot of us Christians when we're asked things like that. So who are you? Tell me about yourself. And we'll go on and on and on about our job and our career and where we moved and who we're married to and our children. Oh, and our grandchildren. Our grandchildren. Let me tell you about my grandchildren. And our hobbies and what school we go to and what sports we play. And we never talk about God. You never talk about your Savior to your coworkers. You never talk about the love of your Lord to your neighbors. You'll talk about the football game and you'll talk about the weather and you'll talk about your job and you'll talk about the kids and you'll talk about the weather and you'll talk about the neighbors and you'll talk about the weather and whatever. You know, maybe it's time you start talking about Jesus and stop talking about yourself. Maybe it's time we start telling people about Jesus. And we stop talking about ourselves. Listen to John's answer. I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said. He said, I'm just a voice. I'm nothing to look at. I'm someone to listen to. Be someone to listen to. Not someone to look at. John was nothing to look at. Bug-eating, camel-hair, leather-belt-wearing, scruffy, long-haired, Nazarite-vow-keeping hippie. He's nothing to look at. As a matter of fact, 99.9% of the churches in America would have nothing to do with John preaching in their churches, even though we're told he was the greatest among men. Why? Because of how he looked. He's nothing to look at. Stop focusing on looks. And start focusing on voice. The culture tells us just the opposite. The world says it's all about the look. You got to have the right clothes. You got to have this appearance. You got to dress this way. God tells us culture's wrong. Stop following the culture. He had to tell the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. What's God look at? The heart. That's what matters. Stop judging people based on how they look. God doesn't do that. Remember what Jesus said of John. Luke 7, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. And John's greatness was not based on his looks, people. It was not based on his looks. It was based on his voice. And his clarion call to draw people to Jesus. To talk to people about Jesus. Let me just give a word of wisdom to women at this point. Not that men don't struggle. 
But I think women face more pressure from the culture on their outward appearance than anybody else. Proverbs 31. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she should be what? She should be praised. It's not about being charming. It's not about outward beauty. God is not impressed with your looks. God is impressed with your life and how it's lived. That's what's most important. This is what you need to pull out of the closet every day, ladies. Proverbs 31, 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Strength in the Lord and for her family and dignity for your God. Live a dignified life of godliness. Now concerning the beautiful women of this world, the models on magazine covers and the actresses in movies and, and the famous singers, Proverbs eleven twenty two. As a ring of gold in a swine snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. In other words, the world is filled with pretty pigs. Don't be one of them. And do not admire the pretty pigs in this culture. These women that are absolutely beautiful, but they're pigs. They're undignified. They're ungodly. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking nice. But don't make that the focus of your life. Be a woman of God. Back to John, verse 23. I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. John is nothing to look at. He is someone to listen to. And he quotes, what we have here the quote of Isaiah. Isaiah 43, a voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Listen, John knows who he is based on who God says he is. That's his identity. His identity isn't wrapped up in what other people say about him, other people's opinions of him. His identity is wrapped up in the word of God and what God's word says about him. Who does God say you are? Who does God say you are? Your identity should never be wrapped up in what other people think about you, what other people say about you. Your identity should always be wrapped up in what God says about you. Who are you in the eyes of God? That is your identity. Who are you biblically, based on the word of God, that is our identity. And there are many passages that give us the identity of the believer. I want to look at one that just gives us point after point after point after point. First Peter chapter 2. This is your identity. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Don't lose sight of who you are and what you are. Your biblical identity. Look, he says you're a chosen race in that verse. He chose you in in a world full of rejection. Feeling the rejection of loved ones. Feeling the rejection of co-workers. Feeling the rejection of neighbors. Feeling the rejection of of an ex-spouse. Children. God says, I don't reject you. I've chosen you and I love you. That is your identity. You're a chosen race. In other words, we are the Christian race. Do you realize that? 
And this race of ours transcends color and ethnicity and language and nationality. We are the race of God is who we are. So so embrace your race and brothers and sisters in Christ. Revelation 5, 9. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. In Revelation 7, 9, all these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Then he says you're a royal priesthood. You're royalty with access to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And and not only that, you will reign with the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Daniel 7, the sovereignty, dominion, and greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. That's you. All the kingdoms of this world will be given to you. His kingdom will will be an everlasting kingdom. And in Revelation 5.10, you will have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God and they will reign upon this earth. Listen. It doesn't matter what the people of this world call you. One day, you're going to be ruling and reigning over this world. Stop worrying about what this world calls you because there is racism against Christians. There is. Don't worry about what the world says. You're going to be ruling and reigning over this world. Keep it in perspective, child of God. You're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation. Holy meaning sanctified, set apart, separate from the world. Holy meaning you've been cleansed of your sin, forgiven of your sin. It's as if you've never sinned because Jesus took all your sin. That's how God sees you. That's your identity. You are holy in the eyes of God because of his holy son who took your sin. You're a holy nation. Now, I love my nation. I'm a patriot. But I got to tell you, I'm not here for very long. I'm more importantly, a child of heaven. Philippians 3.20, our our citizenship is in heaven. Ephesians 2.19, so then we're no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. That's who we are. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, and God's prized possession. Verse 9 of 1 Peter. God's prized possession meaning you've been purchased, you've been bought, you've been redeemed. Doesn't matter if this world doesn't value you. God values you more than this world. He values you so much. He died for you. His own blood was shed for you. You were worth the price of his son. Nothing more precious. Nothing more costly. 1 Peter 1. Knowing that you were redeemed with perishable thi- with not with redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life. That's just gold and silver and junk. Let me tell you what's real important. But with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, the spotless blood of Christ. That's how valuable you are. Prize possession. And now don't miss this. John was a voice, and so are you. That's part of your identity. You may say, well, where's that in that passage? 1 Peter 2.9. Your chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own possession. Say the next phrase with me. So that you may proclaim. That's where you're the voice. 
Speak up. That's part of your identity. Don't keep this to yourself. Proclaim the excellencies of your God. Proclaim what he has done, taking you out of the darkness of sin into the light of his glory. Proclaim. God said John is a voice. God says you and I are a voice. So start proclaiming his excellencies and stop talking so much about yourself. And start talking about Jesus. Start talking about your God. Start talking about who he is and what he's done for you and how he saved you and how you're a child of his and you've been forgiven and you've been saved and you've forgotten all that he's done for you. You have forgotten your identity, some of you. Your identity has started to take on what's in this world instead of who you are in God. Proclaim, proclaim. Here's some other reminders. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Proclaim, voice, Acts 1, 8. You shall be my witnesses, voice, proclaim. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth in Oswego, Illinois, or Plainfield, or Yorkville, or Montgomery, or Aurora, or Shorewood, or wherever you live. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You are a voice. We have too many Christians with lockjaw. Open your mouth. Not to talk about ourselves, but to talk about our God. Life lessons from John. Know who you aren't, genuine humility. Know who you are, biblical identity. Thirdly, know who matters. This is the focused priority. Say it with me. Know who matters, focused priority. Verse 24 through 28. He's questioned again. Verse 25, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? We're told these guys have been sent from the Pharisees now. Strict interpreters of the law is who the Pharisees are. And so you have these guys nitpicking every word of John, every action of John, and then putting it under the microscope. That's what they're doing. And they're challenging John's authority and John's ministry. It doesn't matter how God is doing a work through him. They're questioning everything. Who do you think you are? Why are you baptizing? You don't have a title. You don't have a, a position. You don't have permission from any of us, and especially our bosses back in Jerusalem. Who do you think you are? Why, do you think you're do Why are you doing this? You're not the Christ. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. He didn't need their authority. He had heaven's authority. Jesus referred to this when he was questioned by those chief priests and elders about his authority, and he used John as an example. In Matthew 21, they asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And Jesus said, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was, it, was uh, from what source, from heaven or from men? And Jesus knew where it was from. Why are you baptizing? Now, you have to understand something. This is strange to these Jews. Why is John baptizing Jews? The Jewish leaders would baptize Gentiles who wanted to enter into Judaism. Nobody baptized Jews. 
There was no reason to baptize Jews. They were God's chosen people. They were all going to heaven. They were a part of God's kingdom. You don't need to baptize them. People still struggle with baptism today. Maybe some of you have faced this from family members. You don't need to be baptized. Why are you getting baptized? We baptized you when you were a baby. Why why are you getting baptized? I don't understand that. Listen, baptism is not just some religious thing you do. It's an outward profession of a changed heart that you've turned from your sins and turned to God. And babies don't do that. Those who are old enough to make a decision for Christ should be baptized now in in today's day and age. But understand, baptism and repentance went hand in hand then and baptism and repentance go hand in hand now. Then in Matthew 3, 6, they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. And baptism is this public demonstration we see in Acts chapter 2, 38. Peter said, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so again, baptism is this public profession that I've received Christ as my Savior. If you're here today and you've not been baptized, but you've received Jesus as your Savior, you need to be baptized. You need to publicly declare you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It's one of the two ordinances that we have from the Lord for the church. The other being communion, the Lord's Supper. And this one being baptized. And you may say, well, I was baptized when I was a kid or a baby. You didn't make that decision. Your parents did. This is a time for you to come forward unashamedly and say, I'm a follower of God. And he's given me a voice. And I want people to know I love the Lord and he loves me. So sign up to be baptized. We got another one coming up in a couple weeks. They ask him though, why do you do what you do? And here's John's answer. Look at John's answer in verse 26. I baptize in water... But among you stands one who does not, you do not know. It's he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. It's really interesting how John answers this. He doesn't. He says, don't worry about me. He doesn't defend his ministry. He doesn't get into this lengthy argument. He doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't justify what he's doing. He doesn't let his pride get in the way. And he actually downplays his ministry. He's like, I'm just baptizing with water. Do you understand who stands among you? Do you understand who is most important? You know what he's teaching us? Don't waste time with critical people. Don't waste time with critical religious people. Super, superstitious, superficial, spiritual people. Don't waste time with them. Shift the focus back to Jesus. Shift the focus back to Jesus. Stop arguing with people. Shift the focus back to Jesus. Stop depending on, de- defending yourself. Shift the focus back to Jesus. And he says, look to Jesus. Look to the one you don't know. Look to the one coming after me. Look to the one I'm unworthy to untie his sandals. Dude, get your eyes off of me and get them on Jesus. He says, I'm a nobody. 
Isn't that refreshing to hear a spiritual leader say that? Death to celebrity Christianity. Say that with me. Death to celebrity Christianity. We have all these book writing pastors and all these TV evangelists and all this junk. Death to celebrity Christianity. Say it with me. Death to celebrity Christianity. They need to take a page out of John's book. Nobody. Look to Jesus. There's no drawing attention to himself. There's no self-promotion. There's no autographing books. Do you notice that? Your best life now. He's not selling it. Because that wouldn't fly in his day because he's about to lose his head for being a follower of God. All the focus needs to be on Jesus. It is John who will say these words in John 3.30. Say it with me. He must increase, but I must decrease. Keep it in perspective, Christian. Keep it in perspective. 1 Corinthians 1.26. For consider your calling, brethren. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen who? He just called you a fool. He just called me a fool. God's chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God's chosen the weak. Guess what he just called us? You're weak. He's chosen the weak. Things of this world to shame the things which are strong. The base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not that he might nullify the things that are so that no man may what? Boast before God. There is to be no boasting. God's glory alone. Glory among us. It's all for God. And these are life lessons from John. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. Say it with me. Know who you aren't. That's genuine humility. Know who you are. Biblical identity. And know who matters. Focused priority. And that's Jesus. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.